This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Pour yourself a cold one. They strike him, huh? And listen to Russ Tucker break down the top college prospects on another tasty edition of The College Draft. Yeah, it is Daddy Soda time here on the College Draft Podcast, and it's, as always, presented by BetOnline.ag. You guys know the deal. Your best place to place any bets, just use the promo code PODCAST1 for that 50% welcome bonus. Really looking forward to it. Before you know it, we'll actually be diving into the games and the prospects that you need to be watching in the biggest games each week should have a special announcement about that coming out in the next couple of weeks too, by the way, since there's actually games coming out in the next couple of weeks. So excited, by the way, for today's guest. We have a lot of draft gurus on, and they're great, and I love them, and I love getting their opinion and breaking down the players. But how about getting a guy that was a two-time All-American? How about getting a guy you know, that's a big-time college football analyst in Charles Arbuckle, and we'll get in the conversation with Charles momentarily. The first, I want to make sure you're all very well aware of Manscaped. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. That's right, Manscaped, number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Look, I'm not going to lie, I may have had a minor accident, or not down there in my life, which is why when I heard about Manscaped, I was so fired up. Their lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag you anywhere. They also have crop preserver, anti-chafing ball deodorant, moisturizer. Look, it's time to take care of the boys that take care of you. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code Tucker at manscaped.com. There are the right tools for the job. Make sure you use them. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Tucker at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code Tucker. You guys know I already mentioned it on the Fantasy Feast podcast. You want to get in the season-long league with me and Evan? If you listen to Fantasy Feast, I'm just telling you, patreon.com slash rtmedia and manscaped.com. Use code Tucker. Don't say I didn't warn you. Well, very excited for today's guest on the College Draft podcast because... Not only is he and has he been an excellent analyst for ESPNU and Sports USA, does all kind of, you've seen him do so much studio stuff over the years and games. He's also a two time All American tight end from UCLA who played in the NFL for the Indianapolis Colts 
and is a great guy to bring on this time of year. Charles Buck Arbuckle. He also recently coached in the AAF, which is pretty interesting, too. Charles, great to talk with you, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, man, good to be on. And, uh, yeah, you know, with college football, isn't it crazy? We're, we we end the season last year, and then you kind of are anxious for it to come back. And, man, it, it I think this year was going to be the longest year I think we've ever had. It's the 150th year of college football. So I'm excited about it. I, I, I really am. Yeah, you know, I recently had uh, the college football seminar for CBS Sports Network, and they have the first game. It's noon on August 24th, and it is uh, Colgate and Villanova. should actually be a pretty good game, a couple good FCS teams, but it's just crazy. August 24th, man, it's, uh, yeah. it's insane. Yeah, that used to be kind of reserved for high school. I know I'm going out to see some high school jamborees and scrimmages, you know, the week before that. And when I saw that game, I'm like, wow, I, I'm used to seeing it Labor Day weekend, but we're creeping closer and closer into the summer months. But, hey, you know, it, there's, that shows you the thirst that folks have for college football. Yeah, and there's a bunch of different things I want to get into with you, whether it's where you played, the Pac-12. I know you reside in ACC country and also just – uh, tight ends in particular it's thought to be a good a good crop of tight ends for the 2020 NFL draft I guess I want to just start with the Pac-12 you know you obviously played out there at UCLA two-time All-American it just feels like the conference is really down Charles before I ask you about a couple of specific players I guess I just kind of wanted to get your overall take on whether or not you sense that, you believe that, you think the conference is down, and if so, why? Well, I think there's a couple of things. If you look at why I think the conference is down, I mean, when you're starting to say, well, we're going to try to play 9 a.m. games and we talk about protecting the student-athlete, I don't know why in your right mind that you would think playing football. Now, you can practice it. We all have done that at certain times, right, Ross? We practice it. 5 a.m., 6 a.m., depending on your coach. But to play a game, to me, that early in the morning does not make, it, does not make sense. And I know um, there's been some talk, well, we have to do things differently. We've got to be on at noon, out. No, stop having, you know, stop having some of your marquee games super, super late. Put them earlier and make sure they fall in that 3.30 or 7.30 slot back out east. But no 9 a.m. games. And then also, too, the fact that, I think it's one of those situations where if you're out of sight, you're out of mind. You haven't been able to really infiltrate the, the college football playoff other than Oregon consistently, right? And I think that starts to make people think, well, there's not good football. The football is good, but there's a couple of teams that haven't been good over the over the long haul, and the South in particular, the Pac-12 South, every year saying how good they're going to be and what they're going to do. The only team that's been consistent in the South has been Utah. UCLA hasn't been consistent. USC, you know, I, we like to say in Texas, big hat, no cattle. I think both of those schools have played like that a little bit. And I have to say that because they have a lot of recruiting base in L.A. but haven't been able to do much with it. And then you look at Arizona State, they're starting to come on. There's some, there's some things that are happening in the South that are good, 
but but the North has won. It's been Stanford. It's been Washington. And when we what we've seen with Stanford is when they've been outside the conference, they haven't been able to take that brand and do as well. Now I look at a team like Oregon, and I think a lot of people are enamored with Oregon. My one concern with Oregon is Justin Herbert, the guy that can take them to that next level. As talented as he is, is he ready to take that next step? And I think you've got a combination of all those things that are swirling and the Pac-12 not playing a role in the college football playoff that's kind of left them out of sight, out of mind. Almost to the Pac-12 after dark, well, Pac-12 after the college football playoff, you don't really talk about them. And that's the problem for the conference, in my opinion. Couple different things that you said there that jumped out to me, Charles. Number one, you know, I've heard people say that the Pac 12 is no different than the ACC. It's a lot of mediocre teams. The only difference is that USC isn't Clemson. In, in other words, you know, there's no difference between the two conferences other than the elite team in the ACC. Clemson is in the college football playoff every year and winning national championships, whereas USC is sort of not holding up their end of the bargain in the Pac-12 and being that elite team that makes a run, you know, in the college football playoff and plays in national championship games. Do you think that's a that's a fair comparison? You know, I, I think it's a f- somewhat fair comparison. I, I do think this. If you look at the Coastal and the ACC, what they've had six different teams that have won that side of the division, and now they're they're expecting the seventh team to do that. So I think there is some parity in the Pac-12. I think there are, if I look at it from top to bottom, if the Pac-12 had a Clemson, then you may say, oh, well, what? could it be Washington? I mean, some people want it to be USC because they, they had that run that we know about with the Reggie Bush and the Matt Leiner there. So I do I do see some of that, but even if you have a team like Washington State that's playing pretty at a high level, if they don't play well late in the year, they get dinged for that. And the problem is Clemson is so so good. Now you're talking about a team that's one or two every year. Now they 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 have been a team that has just been consistently at the top and haven't lost in that conference. Or if they have, it's been one loss, and it's been you know the Syracuse team that'll come up and and, and bite them or. Uh, Pittsburgh that that beat them. They almost got beat by Syracuse. I'm talking about Clemson. So I think there's the dominance of Clemson and then the ACC, and then you have the parity of the Pac-12 and no Clemson-like team. And that's a big difference. And and I think that's what's uh, hurting the Pac-12. See, I revert to Pac-10 because that's what I played in, but the Pac-12 has to find that consistent team. And, you know, a few years ago, Ross, Utah has been in line, you'd think, every year. And and hopefully for them, for their sake, they can make that run this year, having a quarterback like Tyler Huntley. But there's no team to answer your question in the Pac-12 that is had that that meteoric rise like Clemson. And until they do, it, it's going to be some some similarities there. Or people will say that, but you can't make that comparison because you don't have anybody in the Pac-12 that's had a run that Clemson has had. Uh. You know, man, every time you talk, Charles, it's like bringing up more questions. So I I do want to talk, and I'm going to talk more about this in, uh, you know, this this special Patreon-only discussion that we have, Charles, which I'm really looking forward to, which kind of goes back to your days in the 80s. Can't wait to, to, to hear a little bit more about what recruiting was like in the 80s, what UCLA was like in the 80s. But I did want to ask you about UCLA 
um, in recent memory. Because back in the day, and you know this, you're from Houston, you went to UCLA, they used to be able to, to really recruit nationally. And there was sort of an aura of going to UCLA. And I don't know, man, you guys used to be, it seemed like, it seemed like you used to be in the Rose Bowl all the time. And the uniforms were sweet. And there were kids from the East Coast that wanted to go to UCLA. I can't remember the last kid from the East Coast to go to UCLA. And I'm just wanted to get your take. Before I go into Herbert and some of the prospects, I wanted to get your thoughts on your alma mater and kind of what has happened there and where they are. Well, I, I think the last few years, and, and, and last year was a, a year where they finally, at the end of the year, started running the football. But they hadn't been able to run the ball consistently or stop the run. And I think when you start looking at that, they they got a young offensive line. They're going to be better up front on the offensive line. And I think that's the one thing that I look at when I went out to practice. But I think their D-line might be pretty doggone good. And that's the area where they were injured in, in 2017. And I think last year, it just you, you have to be able to stop the, the run. And I think a lot of people are enamored with spread offenses and everything else. But they have to have guys up front that can make plays and stop the run consistently. And I think that's been the biggest issue for them when I looked at them over the last couple of years. It hadn't been skilled guys. I mean, uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, young quarterback that's got a lot of skill. Uh, they've had some receivers over the last – Joshua Kelly, who ran for almost 300 yards against USC. The skill guys, to me, weren't the problem last year. It's up front, and I think it's a combination – but if you can run for 299 yards against a USC team that may have been on the ropes and may not have played well, I think you need to learn how to do that consistently. And I think that's the one thing when I went out and watched them uh, in spring, that was the mantra they were pre- preaching, really being more consistent up front. You know, you got a guy like Boss Tagaloa who moved from the defensive line, now he's the center for them. They get, you, you know, they have to have a meanness up front. They've got about three returning starters on the offensive line, and I think on the defensive line, Osa Ogidua, and I always mess his name up, but he's a guy <laughs> that's going to have to be consistent, consistently uh, playing well for him. Keyshawn Lucier South, he's another guy that they're expecting big things from this year as well on the defensive line and linebacker position. So I think when I look at this UCLA ball club, I want to see them in the trenches because when I've watched them play and they haven't done well, that's where they've been beat. And and if you want to be consistent and if you want to, if you look at, if we talk about Alabama, we talk about Clemson, I love their quarterback play. But every year, Ross, they have guys up front on the offensive line like you and I at the tight end position, and they got great defensive dogs that can get after it. So I, I want to get into Oregon uh, because you said something about Justin Herbert. Obviously, this is the College Draft Podcast, but I, I like kind of taking a holistic view of some of these different conferences like the Pac-12 and ACC with you. seems like we don't give them as much attention as we do the SEC and the Big Ten. But specifically, you said something about Justin Herbert, which is, you know, you're interested to see if he can really get them over the top, get them to the next level. It's interesting, Charles, because, you know, I, I don't get a chance, and I didn't watch every game he played last year, when I did watch him, I'm trying to remember what game it was, he was unbelievable. I remember thinking, this is the guy who 
the Giants are going to take with the number one pick or whatever at that at that point was what I was thinking. And then he stays in school. I'm still a little bit surprised by that. What have you seen from him? What do you need to see from him? Well, I need to see him beat Stanford. I need to see him beat Washington State. If you're going to be in that area where you're playing, you know, consistently. Now, Oregon State, they've, they've been able to be, but you got to, I need to see that marquee game from him. And, and you're right. When you watched him last year, there were some games where he was lights out, right? And I think even that Stanford game played well, threw the ball well, did all of those things. But how do you find a way to win those? Because those are, that's the thing you got to look at for an Oregon team uh, that's playing Auburn right out of the gate, right? Do you have a marquee win, and do you have a game where you've had to beat a defense? Because Auburn's defense is going to be doggone nasty. We know that. Uh, Gus may be in some trouble, but that defensive front, I'd hate to face it right out of the gate, having no <laughs> preseason game or, or whatever else. But I think for Justin Herbert, it's got to be that's because you only get a couple of those chances and those early season games. I can remember if you want to go back in time when we were able to to do beat Nebraska early in the year, 1988, that put us on, on the map. And we were number one for a couple of weeks that year, ended up the season number five or number six. But I think early season games mean a lot. And even though they say uh, the, the, the committee doesn't take that into consideration, they still have to look at those marquee wins and what that does for you. And if that's going to give you that momentum to get moving into the season, because if you can beat an Auburn, you got Nevada next, which is not going to be easy, Montana, and then Stanford right after that at Stanford. They're at Washington, they're at USC, and they're at Arizona State. They've got some tough road games. And to me, if he can go out and win a tough road game at Stanford, that puts you at 4-0. and So I'm not saying just him alone, but his whole team collectively has to do that. And I think that's been the biggest thing with Oregon. Can they get over that hump and get back to the Oregon that so many people remember a few years back when they would, you know, uh, Marcus Mariota and that group were really getting after CJ Verdell has to protect them in the run game because he's a very athletic guy, but they don't want him running the football. But when he has to take off and run, he has to be smart. Just like Trevor Lawrence, you know, you're going to take some shots. Guys are going to go after you. You've got to be able to make plays. And I thought that's the one thing he did better. Uh, as I watched him throughout the season, understanding when they get out of bounds, when they get down, because he's a big kid and he's got a strong arm. And I think that's the one thing this this Oregon team, when you look at him, he's going to be the guy that has to take them to that next level. Um, a couple other guys in the in the Pac-12, Walker Little, the Stanford offensive tackle, and uh, I'm not even a 1,000% sure how to pronounce his name, but it's the wide receiver from Colorado that everybody loves. Uh, is it LaVisca or LaVisca Chenault? Yeah, Chenault, that's it. Uh, I, I know the last name for sure, LaVisca Chenault. And, and I mean, we're not 86 right, catches. Asian guy they can give us, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 86 catches, 1,000 yards, six touchdowns, five rushing touchdowns, in nine games. I mean, that is unbelievable. At 6'2", 225, that guy, I mean, I, there are places, Charles, they have him as a top 10 prospect in the draft. Hey, well, so think about this, Ross. Stephen Montez, how long has he been there? Like 10 years at Colorado? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like he's been there a long time. Uh, but but I think, you know, the, the one thing with the Buffaloes, 
with Mel Tucker taking over, there, there's some talk about the, the, them being more physical, them being tougher. I think McCartney did a nice job of recruiting, but they just kind of started falling off at the end, and that, that didn't end the way I'm sure he wanted it to do, wanted it to be. But what I'm interested to see is how that offense is going to play. And I thought defensively, they were starting to turn the corner. And then last, the last couple of years, especially last year, it last two years, they were 10-4 and four in 2016 and then 5-7 and seven the last two years. Their defense kind of let them down. And I'm thinking that's, that's where they're going to need big defensive tackles like Mustafa Johnson to play well inside. Uh, I think inside linebacker Nate Landman is another guy's name that always seems to pop up. He's a junior now. He was a young pup a few years ago. So I think for, for them defensively, they have to play a lot better uh, to help this offense out. And, and Steven Montez, with his experience, I thought there were some games where you know he really played well and really got this team moving in the right direction. So I'll be interested to see how this Colorado team plays, especially in the South where there's still some opportunities. If you're outside of Utah, if they stay healthy, I think everybody's kind of picking Utah to win the South. I think Colorado has a chance to make, make some noise over there as well. Let's get to the ACC now. And it's another year, Charles, where there's all kinds of talent at Clemson, Isaiah Simmons, Travis Etienne, T Higgins. It's kind of crazy too, because their two best dudes, Charles, might be true sophomores in Justin Ross and Trevor Lawrence. I mean, it's just unbelievable what they've done. I mean, we used to have a term for it, Charles. We used to make fun of it and call it Clemsoning, you know, when they when a team would <laughs> when they would blow it, you know, late in the year, even though yep. they had the talent. Not anymore, man. It's crazy. Well, here's the thing if you look at this Clemson team and, you know, living down here in what I call ACC slash SEC country because don't let the South Carolina people don't want you to forget. It's still SEC country, even though Clemson has done well. I think the one thing Clemson has done is really recruit. And we talk about defensive fronts. When you can get 45 or more sacks over the last five years, the pressure that they, they bring. And Brent Venables doesn't always do it with exotic blitzes. It's just sometimes he brings his four and be sure five. And sometimes you're six with those four. Uh, sometimes they will bring pressure. I think the biggest thing with this team is that they've recruited really well. So even as those four guys came back, whether it was Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins, Cleveland Farrell, who ended up going a lot higher than I thought he would, they were still able to bring in Xavier Thompson. Xavier Kelly on that defensive front. So they always seem to be able to plug and play and even have backups that are going to get drafted late Ross or sign as free agents because they, they haven't been able to get on the field. They've been trying you know, they're practicing saying, Hey, I want to play. They may get five snaps, sometimes 15 snacks and they snaps and they make the most of it. But I think when you look at this Trevor Lawrence, having the conversation with their, their staff before last year, they were going to give Kelly Bryant an opportunity to win the job. They liked Kelly Bryant a lot. They thought, you know, he deserved that opportunity. Those four games, he was able to play them. And then after that, it was Trevor Lawrence's job. Even though he got knocked out against Syracuse and Chase Bryce had to come in and have some magic on fourth down. So I say all that to say, no matter who's in the game, these young players keep finding ways to say, okay, you know, I've been practicing, but now I get a chance to play. And, oh, by the way, don't forget about Amari Rogers, who may not play for a little bit, but when he comes back, he's your do-everything returner. You know, so uh, Justin Ross, breakout <laughs> during, 
it, it, they're going to have, I think the thing with Clemson, what I've learned over the last couple of years, they're going to have a breakout guy that we don't know about. And whoever that is, there may be some talk about him, but it may be Darion Kendrick, who they're saying is a rising star. There's always going to be some guy that comes in and flashes for you. And you say, man, where was he? He was on the bench. He couldn't get on the field because they had so much talent. Is there, speaking of Kelly Bryant, he's now at Mizzou where they've got one of the best tight ends in the country in Albert Aquabunum. I think that's right, something like that. Anyway, 72 catches, 881 yards, 17 touchdowns. Is he your favorite tight end, Charles, or is there somebody else that you like at your former position? He's pretty high up there. Um, I think Hunter Bryan is another guy that's that's really – really playing well at the tight end position. Uh, there, there's a list of about, you know, and here's one thing, Ross, that I don't like. Grant Calcaterra, they list him as a tight end. I don't really consider him a tight end. You know, and that's the other thing with the tight end. This will get into a whole other discussion. You brought me down that road. But there's some guys that they have listed at tight end that really aren't tight ends. They're more H-back. And if they don't put their hand in the dirt, we have this struggle every year. Uh, with the John Mackey Committee Award, there, there's some parameters we try to put around truly tight end play. And I think that's the you know the, the toughest part for us sometimes because if a guy is just a move guy, to me he's more of a, a, a receiver. He's not a true tight end. And that takes away from the guys that are really at that tight end position. Um, but I, I would say, you know, in looking at that, you named some good ones. Now there's going to be some guys that will really pop um, I think one guy you didn't leave, uh, Jared Pinkney for uh, Vanderbilt, is another one that I like to watch. There, there's a collective group, and I always start right at the beginning of the season when I can start seeing guys play in games as opposed to all the talk that you hear about in the offseason. But those three or four we talked about right away, to me, will flash early because they're in offenses where they get a chance to uh, block on the end line but also get to get down the field and become a matchup problem for for linebackers and safeties. Charles, this was fantastic, man. Really appreciate the time. Looking forward to diving into your background a little bit for the Patreon-only podcast. Thanks so much for coming on the College Draft. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Love the insight from Charles, just like I loved the insight that we got from Tags, Mike Tagliere on the first episode of the Fantasy Feast this week. Tags is from Fantasy Pros. And if you go to fantasypros.com slash college, you can get a special offer for complete draft wizard access. What is draft wizard, you ask? Draft wizard is unbelievable. First, it starts with the free draft simulator. You can complete realistic mock drafts in five minutes, allowing you to test out different strategies, see how things unfold. After every mock draft, instant feedback is provided in the form of draft grades and projected standings. Then, look, practice is great, but you also need help when you're actually doing the live drafting. They have a live draft assistant that syncs with your draft, whichever place you're drafting, to offer real-time advice. At each pick, you get a recommendation from 100 experts on who to draft based on your available options. Fully tailored to your league settings, by the way. 
It's available on the web, iPhone, Android devices, fantasypros.com slash college to get that free offer. Fantasypros.com slash college for that special offer. Speaking of special, it is a special day here at RT Media, the RT Media family of podcasts. We've also got Evan Silva, Tears of Evan for you, Wide Receiver Edition, as well as Steve Fezzik and a special guest on the Even Money Podcast. We are loaded. Make sure you're hopping aboard all of them. And uh, other than that, the keg is kicked. We're all tapped out. Thanks for listening to the College Draft Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and the Business of Sports. All available at Apple Podcasts, RossTucker.com, or wherever podcasts can be found. I lied, Bri. I lied. That's not the last thing I wanted to say. The last thing I wanted to say is you got some more knowledge from Charles there. We talked about that first Villanova-Colgate game. It's time to start to place down some bets at betonline.ag using the promo code PODCAST1. You get a 50% welcome bonus. There are several games that are less than 20 days away, like real college football games that count in the standings, the whole deal, 18 days away. Very exciting. Or you can just bet on the preseason football which kicks off week one, Thursday night. I will be in the city of brotherly love for that one. It's betonline.ag and it's promo code PODCAST1.